Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 30th episode of 2022. Before we kick off, I'd like to thank our sponsors of Fiber for Breakfast, including our gold sponsors, Graybar and Vetro. You know, last week, uh, Vice President Harris was in Charlotte speaking on the Affordability Connectivity Program, or ACP, as it's affectionately known. You know, this program provides $30 per month subsidy for low-income families uh, for their internet service, and $75 a month for those living on tribal lands. You know, ACP is gonna be a key component of the NTIA bead program for establishing a low-cost service option. You know, families can claim their ACP benefit by signing up on getinternet.gov. That site is up and running, and President Harris, or excuse me, Vice President Harris, said that 13 million people are already enrolled. You know, last week, the Fire Broadband Association sent a memo to NTIA, and our memo outlined some of the key issues and concerns that we wanted to address with affordability and with the Build America, Buy America statute compliance. On affordability, we urge NTIA to leverage ACP and the National Verifier Database. You know, in the B NOFO, uh, NTI suggests that states can consider other low-cost service options beyond ACP. You know, that's great, but it can create a challenge for service providers in their efforts to determine which subscribers are eligible for low-cost service benefit. Uh, with respect to the uh, Build America, Buy America statute compliance, we urge NTIA to provide more clarity, and we recommend that NTIA implement the BABA, BABA, if you want to call it that, to be consistent with bilateral and multilateral free trade agreements. Speaking of NTI and B, I'm going to be in Denver next week to meet with the state broadband directors at the NTIA's State Broadband Leaders Network Workshop. I was extremely encouraged to see that NTI secured 100% participation from all 56 states and territories with the B letter intents. The next big milestone is the request for planning funds. That's where states can get up to $5 million and territories up to 1.2, uh, yeah, 1.25 million uh, for planning. And that's due on August 15th. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing our state broadband leaders as they have such a huge job ahead of them. And uh, you know, as they work towards closing this digital divide once and for all. Speaking of closing the digital divide, in today's Fire for Breakfast session, we're gonna be discussing revitalizing Appalachian communities through broadband with Curtis Hansen from the Appalachian Regional Commission. You know, last week at Fire for Breakfast, we discussed, are you ready for Make Ready with Sean Middleton from Finley Engineering. You know, who would have known that utility pools would be such a popular topic with our audience? Um, but in today's session, we're gonna be discussing revitalizing Appalachian communities through broadband with Curtis Hansen from the Appalachian Regional Commission. You know, Curtis is the program manager at the Appalachian Regional Commission, where he leads the organization's efforts to close the digital divide by expanding broadband access through the Appalachia. 
Curtis has worked as an engineer for over 10 years, and most recently at an internet service provider where he led broadband planning for fiber and cellular networks in some of the most rural and remote parts of the United States and the Caribbean. In that role, he helped lead the company's participation in federal broadband funding programs, including RDOF, CAF2, Mobility Fund, E-Rate, ReConnect, and CARES. And prior to his work in rural broadband, Curtis served as an officer in the U.S. Air Force, where he was a R&D program manager. Uh, with that, I'd like to welcome Curtis, and please type in your questions as we go for our Q&A at the end of his talk. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Curtis. Well, thanks for having me, Gary. Uh, we got to meet the other week at a conference in Appalachia hosted by the Southern Tier uh, of New York. Uh, this is one of our local development districts, and it was just Pleasure meeting you then, and I'm happy to be able to talk to your audience today. Uh, so like Gary said, I'd like to talk a little bit about how ARC uses broadband in, a, in its efforts to uh, promote economic development in the Appalachia region. Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about who ARC is, because I think a lot of people uh, haven't yet heard of ARC. Uh, so like I said, we're focused on economic development and trying to help make sure that Appalachia realizes the great opportunity that it has to achieve socioeconomic parity with the rest of the nation. And we do that through a number of different means. I think the most well-known is our grant making. This is a map uh, for those of you on the webinar that shows the congressionally defined Appalachian region. And it stretches uh, from Southern New York all the way down to the Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia region. Uh, so it's bigger maybe than you than you would think uh, because Congress took the Appalachian uh, Mountains and then they adjusted the boundary based on communities that have been impacted by the coal economy. Uh, but it's you know it's a county by county list and we have 423 counties and we've been around since 1965 working on this same effort uh, but with an evolving set of initiatives and priorities. Uh, you can see here that we spend around $30 million a year on broadband grants, which before IIJA was a pretty significant amount for the region, and now it feels like a small drop in a very big bucket, uh, but we're doing what we can. Uh, outside of broadband, we spend around $370 million a year for other initiatives and programs, uh, but they all, again, like I said, go back to those same uh, goals, which are economic development and progress for the region. This is our leadership team. We're kind of a unique agency in that we are a federal state partnership agency. Uh, so we have a presidential appointee on the federal side, currently the former first lady of West Virginia, Gail Manchin. Uh, and she sits on a, a leadership team with the 13 Appalachian state governors. Uh, they rotate through who is the state co-chair and we're lucky this year to have Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland to be our state co-chair. Uh, but together, this leadership team works to define how we should be spending our money, which projects to approve, and which initiatives to push uh, to make the impact that we're trying to make. This is uh, a lot of our work, like I said, is focused on developing economies. And so something that Congress has asked us to do every year is to develop a score, which is an economic distress index uh, that they, you know, our economists go and they look nationwide at unemployment, uh, median income and the poverty rate at a county by county basis. And then they build a nice tight bell curve uh, for the whole nation and say, well, you know, the, the best 10% are in this good category, this attainment category, the worst 10% are in this distress category, 
and then we fill kind of a bell curve in between those two extremes. Uh, for those of you on the webinar, you can see that Appalachia actually has twice as many distressed counties, which are those that are the worst 10% in the nation in terms of, like I said, unemployment, uh, poverty level, and median income, and only a tenth as many attainment counties as the rest of the country. So our goal is to use a number of different initiatives to shift that curve in alignment with the rest of the country. Uh, this economic distress indicator also determines the amount of match that a community will need to provide in order to get ARC funding. Uh, from you know 20% match on the distress level all the way up to 80% match on the attainment level. Uh, these are the different initiatives that we work on. Uh, you know, it's it's holistic in its approach. A lot of work around workforce development. Uh, we also do work in substance use disorder treatment and recovery uh, and trying to promote the region and tourism and, and outside dollars making their way into the region. Uh, I work on the community infrastructure team leading the broadband effort. Um, and we do see a lot of interplay between the different programs and initiatives. And I think certainly going forward, uh, in a post-feed world or in a world where fiber and, and robust broadband has made it to every community, I think we'll see a lot more interaction of the broadband uh, efforts with these other uh, investment priorities. This is uh, a snip from our most recently updated strategic plan. Uh, for those of you who are, are really into strategic plans, you can go read this at arc.gov slash strategic plan. Uh, but this is the broadband initiative and it was updated just last year. So it's informed by the pandemic, and it says that we need to be pushing for universal service to high quality and affordable broadband services. And the text gets deeper into kind of why and how and what that means, uh, but it's, a, it's an exciting recognition for an econ economic development agency to be recognizing that we should be getting broadband, not just to businesses or factories or, or uh, the industrial centers of communities, but really to every home. Uh, because of all of the work from home, learn from home, and telehealth opportunities that, are, that live there. Uh, so this informs our ability to fund projects, and it's something that uh, we reference often. Uh, when people talk about universal service in Appalachia, you know, everyone has their own measuring stick. Uh, and they say, you know, how many people are unserved? And if you go based on ISP reporting to the FCC via the Form 77 reporting, we have about 92% of Appalachian homes covered across the region. If you look at the Census Bureau's American Community Surveys though, where they go statistically sample communities throughout the country and ask them questions like, do you have broadband in your home? Uh, only 78% of Appalachian homes would say that they have broadband. Uh, this last stat though, I think is the most interesting. Uh, Microsoft at the end of 2020 published a study where they collected all of their speed test data that they're doing in the background, trying to figure out how quickly they can serve software updates to your computer. And they analyze it and they put it onto a map and they, and they determined the percentage of homes that have access to high-speed broadband, that are actually using broadband at speeds above broadband definitions. Uh, and this number drops to 51% of homes. And you can see in our most distressed counties, that number is actually only 24%. Now that gap between what is being reported by the ISPs and what's actually being delivered in the homes, I think can be explained by a lot of different factors. Uh, you know, we all know about the affordability problem and it would make sense that in areas where people have less income that they're less able to afford broadband. 
Uh, we also know that there are issues out in the edges of these communities, especially in areas where they haven't invested in future-proof technologies, uh, that the capacity at the edge of most networks can be strained uh, just by usages that people didn't anticipate when these, these networks were built years and years ago. Uh, I think, though, that we all are aware that, you know, I think the biggest difference here is the, the difficulty of asking private providers to build out into these areas that have uh, lower incomes and higher rates of unemployment. And that's part of the reason why ARC, over 20 years ago, started investing in high-speed internet projects, uh, because we knew that the business cases just don't work out in the edges and corners of Appalachia. And so we need to help incentivize partners to come in uh, or you know, communities to stand up themselves and build muni networks uh, in these communities so that people can realize all the benefits that exist there. Uh, of our three pillars that we discussed, universal access, high quality, and affordability, um, I think we do look to the IIJA uh, funding that's coming down the pipe. And we see that as a huge opportunity that can either be uh, seized upon or can possibly be missed. And so we're working as, as hard as we can to help our local leaders develop the capacity that they need to be able to put in really solid BEAT applications to their state governments. Uh, we know that that's really the only way uh, that we can be sure that the money makes the impact that we need it to make. And so that's our biggest focus. Along with that, we fund a lot of planning grants where these communities can figure out exactly what they should be doing with their BEAT applications. Uh, we do some work around quality, ensuring that networks are high quality. Uh, and then most recently, we've started to focus a little bit more on affordability, specifically by raising awareness of the affordable connectivity program that Gary mentioned earlier. I wanted to talk a little bit about some examples from the region in terms of what people are doing uh, to push broadband and to help promote economic development using broadband. This, this first project is called NOMAD. It's the North Mississippi uh, Acceleration District project, which is a newer project that I was told about yesterday uh, by one of our graduates of the Appalachian Leadership Institute, which is a leadership development program that ARC funds and runs. Uh, he told me about this program where once Mississippi uh, was able to uh, allow its electric co-ops to be broadband providers, uh, a lot of them started investing in broadband. And they looked around and said, hey, you know, we're, we're stronger together than we are apart. Let's build a marketing team to go out and bring people into the region. Now that we have this robust broadband, uh, we need to get as much value out of that as possible. And the way to do that is through uh, raising awareness and through making sure that people understand uh, what it could mean for their business or for them personally, especially if they're a digital nomad, to move into these areas and leverage that broadband. So they are uh, very interested in talking to anyone. There's a lot of examples on their website uh, from a lot of different stakeholders around the types of impacts that are being made and that could be made using broadband. Uh, Kentucky Wired is another project that has had a lot of ARC funding and a lot of Kentucky State funding go into it. This is a statewide middle mile network uh, that hooks up every state uh, office. Uh, it, it serves universities and most recently it started serving health departments uh, throughout not just the Appalachian portion of Kentucky, but the whole state. Uh, this is going to be a game changer uh, in terms of getting low cost transport and backhaul into these communities to make sure that it's not, it's not the capacity at the edge of the network 
that is slowing down uh, broadband progress. It's, it's just getting business cases and subsidy at the last mile level uh, to hook up homes to this robust middle mile network. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about ACP, that affordability program that's one of our three broadband pillars. Uh, this is a new program and it's something that a lot of people still don't know about. Uh, Gary mentioned getinternet.gov. I'd really recommend you go check that website out. You can even go to fcc.gov slash ACP, uh, where they have a lot of information about the program. Uh, and they also have outreach kits that can help you as you work to raise awareness in your communities of how people can take advantage of this $30 a month program uh, to help them get connected to high-speed internet. Uh, we've started running some analyses, though, on how well uh, Appalachian communities are taking advantage of this program. And overall in the region, based on our estimates, using the 200% of poverty level uh, as an eligibility indicator, we estimate that about 29% of homes that are eligible are participating, which uh, is lower than the national average of 31%, uh, and, and really low overall. I think that you know, we see these percentage points come up uh, every month when they release the new data. It's interesting, you said that Kamala Harris uh, called out that they were at 13 million today, which is great, or last week. So this data is already, you know, they've already seen a lot of progress just in the last uh, few weeks. Uh, but I also like to point local leaders towards the idea of what it would look like for their communities if 100% of homes that were eligible were participating. And region-wide, so, across the entire Appalachian footprint, it would be an additional $900 million a year of federal funding that's making it into the pockets of Appalachians throughout the region. And you just have to sit and think for a minute about the difference that it would make to have that much more cash in pockets of people living and working in these communities and what it would mean for local economies. So in, in, in order to help promote this program, and improve enro enrollment levels, we're, we're following a, a couple of different initiatives right now that I want to talk about. The first is that we worked with USAC, which is the, which is the company that administers the FCC's universal service programs, to develop a training, a one-hour-long training for small ISPs who would like to get enrolled in ACP. I think that there was a lot of success getting the large ISPs enrolled, uh, because they have large legal teams and rooms full of regulatory people. Uh, but small ISPs, especially some of ARC's grantees, you know, these are electric co-ops that have one person working on broadband as their second job. And they certainly don't have time to go figure out what they're supposed to do, um, let alone, you know, they barely have enough time to, to get done this extra effort to make sure that they're offering an affordable uh, subsidized uh, uh, rate plan. So this course, and you can find it uh, on USAC's website, there's also a link here, uh, walks people through all of the different systems that they have to sign up for and in what order and what documentation they need. It gets really granular. And we've already seen uh, several internet service providers use this training to get signed up for ACP to start offering this affordable uh, connectivity program in the corners of Appalachia. So this is one of the things we're excited about. I think this helps enable the next initiative so this is an outreach campaign that we're working on with the FCC. The FCC has an outreach division uh, and they've been staging some of their own road trips throughout the US to do literally sitting down at tables, helping people 
log in and, and get signed up for the Affordable Connectivity Program. Uh, so later this, later this year, actually in late August, we're planning on doing a, a pilot enrollment campaign throughout Appalachia, where we'll be driving through a number of different communities, uh, working with the FCC, and then working with local leaders. And not just mayors or city councils, but you know, community leaders. We're looking to the VFW presidents or the leaders of churches or schools or library systems, the people that are trusted in the community who can invite those who may be eligible to come learn more. And, and you know, if we can make sure that everyone at least knows that this uh, $30 a month program exists, we'll have done great things. Uh, but I'm pretty confident that as people become aware of it and we make it easier for them to sign up, that we'll see people who don't have broadband in their homes today gain access to broadband and all of the enabling powers that that brings to their lives via this program. Uh, so this is one that we're really excited about. It's still in progress. I uh, hope to be able to provide some updates on this soon. Uh, those were my prepared remarks. I wanted to close here kind of talking about the overall progress that ARC has made. Uh, this is a map that shows back in 1960, in terms of high poverty counties in the region, there was 295, which is a lot. Um, in 2019, when they redid the analysis, we brought that down to 110. And there's still some lingering pockets of high poverty, but in general, I think the, the focus that ARC brings to this equation and the power that we have to convene uh, local leaders with state leaders and federal agencies has really proven to be a recipe for success in general and then specifically with broadband. What questions can I answer? Thanks, Curtis. Um, I always love uh, hearing from you and, uh, you know, I really appreciate all the great work you're doing. Um, so first question, you know, I grew up, um, actually I was born in Virginia and it was Appalachian Mountains. And then I spent most of my life in North Carolina, it was Appalachian. So yeah. do you guys use Appalachian or Appalachian? You know, it, it's, it's funny. I get asked that question a lot. Um, it's kind of like, you know, if you're not from, like it, I grew up out west, right? So I might call it New Orleans because I don't know better. Uh, but if you're from an area that pronounces uh, its name in a specific way, they tend to have a pretty strong feeling in reaction to that. So I've found that the people who say Appalachia are more passionate about the pronunciation than those who say Appalachia. So I stick with Appalachia. Uh, but I've heard both. And I think that both are correct. Well, you know, when I think about your region, why I think it's so important is you know, when I read that book, uh, Hillbilly Allergy, that's the kind, you know, the people I'm thinking about and the, you know, kind of the, when I think, I always try to think about people and who we're trying to serve and the environment they're in and how difficult it is for, um, you know, people in poverty and, in you know, areas of distress to be able to have opportunities and to really have hope. And, uh, you know, I, I see, the you know having high-speed access providing that hope you know the access to education access to jobs access to you know just improving quality of life and is that how you would think of your region yeah i mean i think that every time i get to talk to a you know a local leader from appalachia they talk about the utter importance of broadband in their work uh, because you know the digital divide is real I just talked again uh, this week to a leader from uh, Northern Alabama who was telling me about, she was an educator and she was telling me about how, you know, CARES money came and went 
and the hot spots that they had during COVID dried up, and now they're still left with kids who don't have access to any internet in their home. And, and the stark difference that that is to a, a kid who does have internet in their home. And so we hear that from everyone, that it's a top priority for economic development. Um, and, and we do see a lot of promise and opportunity coming because of broadband. So Pat out in the Eastern um, Virginia is asking, you know, you had a, a list of all your distressed county data. Is that done for the entire country? And if so, um, by whom? How can you be able to find your county? Yeah, if you go to arc.gov, and I think it may be still on the on the front page of that website, but we just published the nationwide data set. So search for like distressed counties or something. I'm sure we can find a link, uh, but the nationwide data, and it's not just the index number or the category, but it gives you the unemployment data, uh, the income data and the poverty level data uh, for every, uh, every county in the country. So I would go ahead and check out our website. If you have any questions, shoot me an email. And then um, one of the questions came in, I think is really important is, you know, has ARC looked at middle mile and access at risk and distress areas for backhaul to IP hubs for um, high speed peering? So can, I'm trying to think of what that question's asking. So in terms of fund, I guess one of the things maybe I should point out is that ARC's broadband programs are very grassroots led. Uh, so any good project that fits our strategic plan and our and our kind of eligibility criteria is on the table for being funded. We try not to push too many initiatives from the top down because we find that the best uh, path to success is working where there's momentum from the bottom up. Are you guys working with the state broadband offices to help leverage your 30 million against the, both the middle mile and the bead access money? And, yeah. And even it's, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, ARC was called out specifically in IIJA as being eligible as match funds for BEAD. Uh, we're working to see if we can qualify as match fund for the NTIA Middle Mile Grant, hopefully more on that soon. Uh, but we meet with all of the state broadband directors as kind of a council quarterly to make sure that we're all identifying those issues and opportunities for uh, furthering each other's work. So that is something that we're working really closely on. And, you know, I always love when you put up your ACP chart. I mean, I think it's critically important to not only get access, but then, you know, look at affordability and adoption. Um, but, um, you know, Barrett noticed that you didn't have Pennsylvania in your ACP status chart. Is that? Um, oh, really? Well, yeah, that was that was a true mistake. Uh, I threw that together yesterday and didn't double check. We have the data for every county though, and we're still working to find a way to publish a map that would give you kind of an interactive way to look on a county by county basis. That yeah, sounds I mean, like a pivot table filter issue. So apologies. On well, that. I love the way you frame it though, is in that that here's the money you're leaving on the table in every state or community that if you're not signing up 100% ACP, you know, eligible households, you're you're leaving this money on the table and i think that's important to know yeah yeah because it's you know sitting there whether you're going to use it or not and better to have that cash flowing through your community than not that's my that's my theory all right we had a comment here um to thank you for highlighting kentucky wired and the health department initiative so um you got some fans here curtis yeah, yeah i think that they're actually doing a press release soon to talk about you know, they just recently lit that network uh, to the health department. So more on that soon, I'm sure, for our Kentucky Wired fans out there. 
Well, Curtis, uh, thank you so much. You know, I always enjoy listening to you and I, I really greatly appreciate all the work you're doing in the you know, critical area of our country. So thank you for that. Thanks for sharing this with your audience, our audience today. Also want to thank everybody for joining us and look forward to getting back together next Wednesday where we're going to be discussing the limits of fixed wireless technology for rural communities uh, with Andrew Afferbach, uh, PhD, PE, CEO, and Chief Technology Officer at CTC. Um, Andrew actually, his white paper was uh, recently used in some activity in uh, Vermont. And um, actually, if you look at the white paper, it's really amazing at, um, you know, what he's looked at is kind of where is big wireless work, you know, what's the, um, the right application and where it doesn't. So I think this will be really informative and hopefully you guys will take a look at the study and join us next week on Fire for Breakfast. So thanks everybody, see you Wednesday.